0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shakespeare Alive, a podcast of the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. My name's Paul Edmondson. Shakespeare Alive hosts conversations with people who work with Shakespeare throughout the world. It's been my pleasure to know today's special guest for almost a decade. There are many Shakespeare festivals throughout the world, and indeed many in North America, but one of the earliest is the Stratford Festival in Ontario, Canada. Since its founding visionary, Tom Patterson, first mentioned the idea for a festival during a talk at school, and later achieved the first season in 1953, the Stratford Festival has bodied forth the genius of Shakespeare across its stages with its own distinctive heartbeat. We're honoured to be joined today by the festival's artistic director, Anthony Cimolino, member of the Order of Canada. He began his career as an actor at the festival in the late 1980s and started to direct in the mid 1990s. And it's been my joy and my delight to see several of his productions, The Merchant of Venice, Hamlet, King Lear, Mary Stuart, The School for Scandal, Anthony Cleopatra, Love's Labour's Lost, Along with his executive director, Anita Gaffney, he co-led a successful campaign for a $100 million new Tom Patterson Theatre. Its first season has just started with a play which opened that first festival season, Richard III. This season, he is directing The Richard the Third and The Miser by Moliere. Anthony Cimilino, welcome indeed to Shakespeare
1: Alive. Paul, how good to see you again. It's been too long.
0: What was your initial route into Shakespeare, Anthony?
1: Well, I think like most people, I, I studied it in school. And uh, as I began to become interested in theatre, I found myself, you know, drawn towards it. It wasn't really till I came to the Stratford Festival, though, and saw an afternoon, a matinee of Love's Labour's Lost, that really I, um, I just became so hooked and it changed my life. I mean, that afternoon, uh, Paul there were 2000 people seated in that theater. And, you know, we have like a Greek amphitheater around the stage. It was the first Guthrie thrust stage. And so the sense of community is intensely strong in that situation. We were all laughing together. We were all, you know, moved by what we were seeing. And I was so blown away as a young person, you know, as a person in my teens at seeing really my friends on that stage in a way, you know, those, those, four young men and young women, you know, there was the goofball, the, you know, the, the glib one. That, and and so in that moment, I felt this, this, this connection to the past that somebody 400 years before had written down, you know, things that were so central to my life and my existence. And then also I felt a connection to humanity in that moment as well, because I was one of 2000 people who we were sharing um, a series of responses to what was happening on the stage. And so there was something very powerful about that, that sense of connection to humanity. And so I went home and I told my dad that I wasn't going to go to law school. I was going to become an actor. Not the happiest day in our household, I can tell you that, but uh, but it proved to be um, seminal.
0: Yeah. Well, I saw your own *Love's Labour's Lost* in that very space, and what an astonishing space it is! I mean, it's, uh, it, I can compare it, uh, as I imagine it, to the Chichester Festival Theatre, mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful space of performance, and and based on, as it were, the original Tanya Mazevaich design, isn't it? From the from the as it were the big top, is that right? From 1953, the big yes.
1: Yeah, so in that first year, we were under a tent, and and you know. Uh, Tanya and Guthrie went around the world and Chichester was uh, a sister theater that started 10 years after ours. We're in our 70th season. And of course, Chichester this year is experiencing their 60th season. And, 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 you know, Tanya also had, um, a voice and was one of the individuals that was involved in the planning of the National Theatre and the Olivier stage. And of course, there's, you know, Sheffield and Minneapolis and the Mark Tate Perform in L.A. and the Vivian Beaumont in New York City. There's, you know, so many of these beautiful thrust spaces that were created by that duo.
0: I think when you went into that theatre, though, as 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 a much younger Anthony, I think you knew already you were a performer, surely.
1: Well, I... Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, I was involved in public speaking and debating. And yes, I was on stage, but I really thought I'd do something like, you know, become a lawyer or a politician or intellectual something. Intellectual
0: fireworks. But they're so present in Love's Labour's Lost, aren't they? I mean, it's an unusual yes. play. It's easy to appreciate in performance. It's very difficult to read Love's Labour's Lost, isn't it? But uh, perhaps the lawyer in you is also attracted to the intellectual fireworks and the, those words flying around.
1: Cool. Well, so many plays are like that. Like I remember beginning rehearsals on Bartlemy Fair and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, you know, everybody was terrified of it because they had read it at home alone. And then we got together and we had a first read through and people were rolling in the aisles. Like they, 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 they were shocked to find it was actually played, uh, with such humor and, and, um, and, and of course loves labors gives one, uh, you know, all sorts of linguistic challenges, but also rewards one with such feeling and, you know, um, heart.
0: So the illuminating moment when you went home and had that difficult conversation, how did that develop over time? Your interest in, in knowing you wanted to go into the theater?
1: Well, it was an interesting moment. My parents moved to Canada in the late forties or, and, uh, and, while well, they, they were from Italy, and they did go back at one point to try to live in Italy again. But they had changed, or the, you know, Italy had changed, and they decided they wanted to stay in Canada. So, you know, as the child of an immigrant, um, success does not look like having your kid go into the theater. I mean, su- you know, success is a profession or uh, a banker. Um, and so that moment for my dad, I remember him at the kitchen table just was trying to process what he was hearing. And he he said, "Voi diventare artista, un artista." And it it was not something that he had ever really thought about. Even though you know my my sister danced and toured with a company that went around uh, the world, and uh, and I was involved in things, uh, you know, school plays and stuff. So at that moment, I guess um, I just felt that I wanted to do something with my life that would actually truly utilize the the whole of me and. And, and in a way, make a difference in the world. Now, why we in the theater feel that our going into the theater is going to make a difference in the world, I don't know. But I'd like to think that we're right.
0: And you went into the theater first of all, as it were, treading the actual boards, didn't you?
1: You mean as being an as actor? an actor? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Well, I think that I think there's great wisdom in that. I mean, some people, especially, you know. Um, in the UK, begin as directors. Uh, others, like Greg Doran and I, we began as actors. And um, there is something about actually, you know, um, understanding the craft from a very, very intimate way. I mean, certainly everything from giving notes to uh, to actors and other artists uh, through to just, you know, being able to block comes from a, a very visceral place uh, because we've, we've, we've stood there and, and you know, know the, the, how to move of things around because we lived it
0: out of interest. What was the time gap between your seeing love's labors and then you stepping out onto that same space?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think about 10 years, 11 years, I would have never guessed that actually, um, at the time, but yeah, it was about maybe so, that.
0: So yeah. the start, the start of your career as an actor was not at the festival. It was elsewhere. And then you came to the festival. Is that right?
1: Yes. I was in Toronto for a number of years, performing at different theaters there. And, uh, and then eventually found myself where I always wanted to be, uh, at the Stratford Festival.
0: You were, And you still visited it and saw the productions there over that period? Yes. Yeah. yes, that's right. And then something changed gear gradually over, I don't know, half a dozen years or so, and you started to direct.
1: Well, I remember, OK, so we had a visit from Bill Gaskell, um, who uh, this was 1988 eight eighty nine and he was coming in to direct a Pirandello at the festival uh, called Rules of the game and so I was asked to assist him on that because I uh, having uh, Italian as my first language, I could help in some ways he he, he and I uh, got on well and I worked with him and I assisted him on that production the following season and then eventually went and assisted him on a comedy of errors in New York City. And But at that time, Paul, when all of my friends were getting really much better offers and parts, and I was being asked to be an assistant director, I took this as a a bit of a slight towards my acting abilities. And maybe, in fact, that's the case. But it didn't feel like at that moment, although I had always wanted to direct, I, I, I worried that I would never be an actor again.
0: And then we fast forward a few more years, 15 years or so, perhaps, and you became artistic director of the Stratford Festival. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, being an artistic director of an institution, but especially ones that are uh, important to the development of the community and and have training programs and educational programs, there's a, a real responsibility to the future. You are not only trying to create theater that is compelling and exciting in any given season, you're also trying to build towards something down the line. A world that is somewhere on that horizon. And with the development, you know, Canada uh, especially is is a young country and it's a country that is changing in terms of its composition. And, you know, when when the Stratford Festival started in 1953, it was very, very Anglo-Saxon and white. We are now in a situation where we have a glorious kind of mix of people from around the world who've moved to Canada. And it's a very, very exciting place. I mean, unlike, you know, some countries in Europe where they feel like, well, we know what our culture is, and we don't want it to change culture and the definition of what it means to be Canadian is evolving and and gloriously so. Looking at the stories we tell and a wider range of stories. Looking at how we train people and and develop talent. You know, opening that up so it's a little bit less hierarchical than what we've done in the past. It's more of an open weave that, uh, you know, this. For instance, I, I've just finished the rehearsal process in Richard the Third and Paul. It was. Really, probably the best experience I've ever had i we began we've put into place a series of days called pre rehearsal orientations or pro days three days where we as a company just get to meet and talk to each other, get to understand each other, know each other a bit before we begin work and that the intention there is to empower especially the younger newer members of the company so that they can you know have their voices be heard. And the contributions they were making were phenomenal. Like suddenly we had a room where, you know, people were uh, all contributing towards a storytelling. I'd always aspired to have that kind of room. I always valued it. I don't think I was really putting that into place in a way that is the case now. And this speaks to the future, the kind of festival we want to be in the years ahead. We really
0: appreciate your support for Shakespeare Alive and we'd love to hear from you about how you're enjoying our podcast. So please complete our survey by visiting shakespeare.org.uk forward slash future. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your usual podcast platform. Why not join the conversation on social media by using hashtag Shakespeare Alive and we hope that you enjoy the rest of this episode. Well, one adjective which pops into my head in relation to your wonderful festival, and I've, I've visited it many times over over the last decade, is loyalty, and I mean that in I mean that in multiple directions. I mean it from the people of Stratford in the earliest days being loyal to the fundraising for Tom Patterson's Vision. Let's get this thing started. I remember stories about when the milkman used to go and collect their monies, asking, and would you like to donate to the festival, and people putting in a bit extra. The people of Stratford knew they were going to benefit economically from this, but the loyalty was there from the start, it seems to me. I also mean loyalty. When I open a Stratford programme, and I read that it's an actor's 33rd season with the festival, or 12th season, or 40th season, and nowhere else in the world do I open a programme and read that. It's it's astonishing. It's humbling. It's beautiful. It's loyalty. Could you say something about that? Because what you've just described about the rehearsal room and wanting to build a community, some people would call that, you know, an ensemble from day one. Let's build an ensemble. Let's build a uh, an atmosphere in which people can trust each other, and know how they work and know enough about each other's personalities to realise when something's going to be humorous and, and so on. But the loyalty is there. And it, it, I wonder if you've seen something along the lines of like the more established actors who's there, who are there for their 25th season, for example, wanting that to be given somehow to someone whose first season it is.
1: Absolutely, um, we have over 130 actors in our ensemble this year, and that's not for six weeks or eight weeks. That's these are contracts that span nine months, and so because we've got actors who are eight years old and we have actors who are 80 years old um, of that 130, and they are getting to spend, you know, months together in different plays because we are still in rep. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for exchange. There's an opportunity for mentorship. There's also an opportunity for the older members of the company to learn a lot from the newer ones, you know, new mindsets, new ways of viewing things. I think that's an enormous strength.
0: There's also the loyalty of your audiences. And, you know, one of the great successes and one of the things I've noticed palpably every time I've been is there's plenty to do. Around the productions when you're not actually sitting in the theater. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the ways in which the festival interacts with its audiences, as it were, outside your four differently shaped auditoria, which you might come on to in a moment.
1: Well, we have something called the uh, Mian Forum. And the forum is uh, a series of events, like 150 or so, that range from comedy nights to musical presentations to panel discussions you know we have we are doing death in the king's horseman this year and we have professor Willy Soyenka, the you know nobel prize winner coming and speaking and seeing the production uh we have salman rushdie giving a talk as well adam gopnik from the new yorker just a wide range of extraordinary people artists um who And and the purpose of this, Paul, and you and, uh, you know, Stanley Wells, God love him. He's fantastic as you are. You have been guests. And um, the purpose of this program is to help us better understand or appreciate the role of these plays, these old plays, as well as the new plays in our world today. We have people who come from all over the world uh, mostly, though, uh, the United States and Canada, and usually with you know within a, let's say a drive of about nine hours. Although we have people coming from every state in the United States and every country in Europe, the, when they get together, they are actually unplugged from the the you know the madness of let's say you know London or New York. Uh, we had a f- former artistic director, uh, Richard Manette, who said that you know when you're in a theater in New York it's very hard to be for anything in that theater to be more dramatic than what you've stepped over on the sidewalk. You know, the sirens are wailing and then you you go in for drama. Whereas the great thing about both Stratford's is that you can share an experience that is decompressed, that you can share that experience with, you know, people you love or friends and that it, it, it kind of, uh, it, it enters your soul in a deeper way than if you're just rushing it after work and um, you know and having dinner and then rushing home. There's something about this which is, if we can plan for it, and, and that's a challenge. But I think for young people, for students, for audience members who are able to get to Stratford, it's um, potentially, like for me, a life changing experience.
0: The forum was your own innovation, Anthony, and it's what a great success it's it's been. Um, one of the things also, though, is the, to use that word loyalty again, of the town of Stratford. Mm. I've noticed how a lot of your education work and, and your public events around these productions, including the Forum, take place in different venues across the town. And there's a sense of the town's loyalty through, as it were, being used as the campus for the festival, which I've, I've always liked and admired.
1: Yes. The community, you know, Paul, in 1953, there were those who were for the theater getting established and those who were against. Some were terrified of what would happen to the community with all these actor types came into town. And uh, somehow (laughs) we've survived. And yes, there is a real affection. And many people moved to Stratford. It's a a city of about 33,000 or so people. The festival was created from this community. They're the ones who did it. In a way, it is their greatest, I believe, artistic expression that they created that theater, that which has four different venues you know uh, differently shaped
0: that's key isn't it differently shaped auditoria. you know i can be in a proscenium arch i can be in the amphitheater i can be in a black box i can be in a thrust stage auditorium
1: and and different like the tom patterson is an elongated thrust so Mm. it's it's quite long and also wow the acoustics that were we were able to put into that like you know the the ambient sound in the room is around 12 decibels like if it gets any quieter it it, it feels you know a bit like a tomb so that it's envelops the actors it's it it, and the we've only opened this theater within the last number of weeks but the ability for an actor to simply be uh, intimate and at one with the audience is really um so encouraging
0: i'm so thrilled i'm so thrilled for you because i've enjoyed many performances in the tom patterson theater in its you know previous iteration Uh, can you give us an example of of the the quality of sound perhaps from from rich the third which is has just opened
1: the building is beautiful in every way it's along the water and it has um a modernist design but it's a very soft modernism the walls undulate like natural materials like leaves or branches in a stream and if you can get online have a look at it it's really striking there are public spaces in there of course but it's the auditorium that really, you know, has my heart Um, in, you know, the, the uh, beautiful speech that Richard gives after the nightmare sequence in which he says, no creature loves me. um, He, uh, Colm Fjord, who's playing Richard, can just sit on that stage having come out of his tent terrified and just speak so, so quietly and intimately and with such a nuance, um, I mean, he's an extraordinary actor, but he also is able in that situation to play on a Stradivarius, that deck. It's just, you know, and a lot of care went into this, of course, right from the materials on the, uh, you know, on the, on the wood of the stage through to every reflective and absorbent surface to the air handling, because... Thrust spaces are actually quite hard to do. Like in a, in a proscenium arch, you've got uh, you can create an, an atmosphere and a sound level behind the box that is the stage, and another one for the audience. When you're all seated together in one room, you're pouring cold air or hot, and the noise that is attendant on it all on everybody together, and so making sure that, you know, the actors stay cool while the audiences aren't frozen, making sure that the sound level is every particle of air in that auditorium hall is replaced every 15 minutes. I didn't want to create in this uh, a very movable space because I felt, although it can go into the round from one season to the next, what I wanted was to create a, a space that had a point of view and that it could support both classical and new work.
0: Well, I wonder looking back, because you've almost completed your first decade as artistic director, what are some of your abiding memories? What are you most proud of? Or what makes you smile? Or what makes you blush?
1: Over the years, we've introduced the filming of productions. And so we have a library of majority of Shakespeare's plays done by this company. And that continues to expand. We'll be filming six productions this year. The first forum events, you know, we had a a general um, who uh, took, play, took part of the Good Friday Accords. He was there with Senator Mitchell as they tried to get the militias to give up their guns. He was a Canadian general. And he talked about Romeo and Juliet and his experience of being in Northern Ireland and and uh, the experience of Shakespeare's play and how true the division in that community is in Shakespeare's play and from his experience in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, the opening of the Tom Patterson, absolutely. Thanks gorgeous new 75 million dollar theater um
0: so can you tell us a bit about the
1: opening event itself <laughs> well it, we were outside the theater we uh had a ribbon cutting and the four young people from richard the third the four you know kids could be had four because we have a two and two they trade off playing the princes and uh and they were there cutting the ribbon and and we had one of the people who was in the 1953 production and played Clarence's son was there with them. So we had, you know uh, a young actor from 1953 with the young actors from 19... 19- oh wonderful. And, you know, That's
0: wonderful so- That's just the kind of thing that matters to the Stratford Festival and to its audiences and to its wider communities. The fact that the thought and the imagination is there, with that big heart beating to say 1953, put it into the present. The vision is still alive and kicking. These things really matter. And I, I, think it's, I think it's just wonderful to hear that. Thank you.
1: And in that special day, we had a series of jets fly overhead um, to commemorate it. And on the opening night of Richard, we had a drone show. Have you ever seen a drone show? I mean, about 100 drones, small ones with lights attached that could change, were in the sky. And so on opening night, instead of fireworks, we had these 100, and they're all computer programmed. They would make the face of William Shakespeare, and then all sorts of, like, I know it sounds... Like like synchronized
0: swimmers, like synchronized swimmers.
1: Yes, or, or all the tinkerbells that you can imagine... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> up in the sky and they it was like a swarm of birds there's a what is that called when you see a whole bunch of birds making different shapes and you know
0: oh i see it's like we can see we can say murmuration of starlings They ah, they all make different shapes right. don't they that's yeah. right
1: but in this case it was so i'm thinking now they can they can do such amazing things with them paul we need to get them into a theater
0: yeah oh yes Yes, we can all look up or be astonished <laughs> with these drone formations. You mentioned the filming of some of the productions. It's been my pleasure to see some of those be- beautifully filmed. And they're they're all out there online, accessible for people, are they? Or we can purchase them.
1: Yes, you can. we actually have a subscription service at Stratfest at home. So Stratfest.com at home and um, you can subscribe on a monthly basis or you can see specific productions and everything's available there the entire library as well as we also have filmed other events other you know uh, forum events talks as well as performances and we've also been hosting uh, material from other theaters there, sort of a a, a kind of a portal or a gateway for Canadian theatre to the world.
0: That sounds so, very exciting. It. It's a great way of people becoming acquainted with the festival's work if they if they're mm. not already acquainted with it. So, a- aside from, as it were, films of theatre productions, do you, do you watch Shakespeare-related films actually, as it were, movies yourself? And do you do you have a favourite of those?
1: Okay. I have to confess that for somebody who started a film series, I was never a fan of Shakespeare on film, although there's some very good ones. The Kenneth Branagh ones especially are, are terrific. The Henry V, The Much Ado is wonderful. I have to say, and I, I say this with affection not to be self-serving, my favorite film is the one of The Tempest was my production. That's not the reason I'm mentioning it. It's because of The Prospero was an extraordinary actress who passed away this past year, Martha Henry. Martha Henry. Oh, she's just, what a loss. She was just, um, you know, Paul, she did three tall women uh, indoors last year and um, she was terminally ill at the time. It was an extraordinary performance. She passed away within days of closing it. She just wanted to get through. She had been with the festival since 1962. She was a great friend and friend and an extraordinary artist. And Mm -hmm. to see her, Again, in that film, The Tempest, just, you know, it means the world to me. So that will always be, I think, my favourite um, film.
0: I have um, not seen that film, and I shall make a point of seeing it, Anthony. Thank you. It's a, a a really wonderful recommendation. I've seen some of her work in the festival, and uh, I'd like to see her Prospero. Just to sort of, you know, end with, if you were imagining and you, you've been many times to the, to the other Stratford, Stratford-upon-Avon, as I, I, I call you the other Stratford, you think of us as the other sure. Stratford. Uh, <laughs> there's if more you, than one. And there's more than one, but we're yeah, each, each other's other Stratford. If, if you could deposit anything, and you've got a very substantial, impressive archive there, I've been to it, if the, of the festival's distinguished history, but if you could deposit something in the archive of Stratford-upon-Avon, by which, you know, we mean the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, it's library, it's archives, it's museum collections, Anything you like. Put down a marker, as it were, in the Stratford-upon-Avon Ark. What, what would you deposit and why?
1: There's a letter that was written in 1952 from Tyrone Guthrie to Alec Guinness, who was the first Richard in Ark. And he was explaining the venture that he wanted to embark on, why it mattered to create this open stage, the stage which had never existed since Shakespeare's time. He wanted to create this... A thrust stage that would support the words of Shakespeare, to allow the effects and the images that Shakespeare has in his writing to exist without competition from scenic design, to just be able to put the actor and the text in the heart of the audience. And it's such a beautiful letter, Paul, because some people may think this was the supreme colonialist uh, gesture to, for you know, <clears throat> somebody from the UK to open up a Shakespeare theater in Canada. But the spirit of it, where he says we must make this an absolutely Canadian venture, and he explains to Guinness what and it is such so much in the spirit of sharing. In in um, I mean, Guthrie was obviously extraordinary man, um, but the generosity, the kindness, the uh, desire to give a gift that is so strong in that letter, I would say. Now, the problem is I would never part. We would never part with that letter, but we would give a very high quality copy, which we would love to share with our sister institution at the Birthplace Trust.
0: Thank you. And we'd find an appropriate way of reciprocating uh, with with, with such a uh, an appropriate image as well from from our collection. I, I don't doubt it. Anthony Cimolino, this has been a delight and I could happily talk to you many hours about the Stratford Festival. I feel like our conversation is is ongoing over the years. I've known you and long may it continue. Um, it, it, it's been great being able to host this podcast with you in the other Stratford from my home in Stratford-Bonaven. You're in your home there in Stratford, Ontario. And we wish you well with this season. The Rich of the Throats. When does the Miser open?
1: Uh, it opens in August, towards the end right. of August, and it goes until November. And um, you've
0: also got All's Opening, which again was a, one of the plays that the yeah. two plays that opened in 1953.
1: And a beautiful production of Hamlet, which was the play that uh, played in our f- the first Festival Theatre season. So, uh, sorry, so when we built the Festival Theatre in 1957, Chris Plummer played Hamlet, and so it is a, a season built around the idea of new beginnings.
0: Wow, this is great. We, we hope that's a, a great season for you, that 2022 is a landmark year with a new theatre and new beginnings. Anthony Cimino, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to this episode of Shakespeare Alive with Paul. Join me next week when I speak to hosts of the popular Not Another Shakespeare podcast, James and Nora. If you'd like to find out more about the houses, collections, research and education activity at the Shakespeare Birthplace
1: Trust, then please head over to our website, shakespeare.org.uk.